We need 210 more. The good news is we have until Wednesday, but because we are overachievers at Madison Heights, how about we just bring them tonight to the back porch and knock it out? 210. 210. Uh, I want to thank Philip for helping with the music the last couple of weeks and, and going forward in the future. Um, sounds great. I want to thank, it's providential, the third one in a row that's been on the strings, Rebecca, uh, our own, who has volunteered to play with us some and, and was playing the violin this morning. So wherever you went, thank you uh, so much. I know there are more of you that have talents and can play and sing. So if you would let Philip know, uh, if you want to play or sing tonight at the back porch, Bring your instrument and come on. It's plug and play. You'll know all the songs are easy. So we would love to, we would love to have you. <clears throat> um, I mentioned this in the last service. Bryce, I think, might be getting out of the hospital. Um, maybe later today or tomorrow. Nick Hughes' wife, she, they had a baby. She's been in the hospital almost 14 days. Um, so keep praying for her. We hope that she is able to get out today or tomorrow. It, the reason why I mentioned that was to tell you this, because this is the kind of church that you attend. Um, eight of us went and laid hands on her and prayed with her last week. Uh, it was a, quite a sight, eight elders walking down the hallway of a hospital. Um, but I just want you to know that's the kind of church. There are things that you don't ever get to see, but that's one of them. That If you are ever in that position and that's what you need and that's what you want, uh, we'll show up because that's what the scripture commands. Uh, so pray for your for your leaders as well. <laughs> Interesting morning to visit. If you're a visitor, we're going to talk about hell. <laughs> Don't normally talk about hell, but it's in the text. Um, but let me let me. You'll notice the title of the sermon is not very seeker sensitive because we're looking at John the Baptist down in the Jordan River Valley preaching. And John the Baptist is a madman. Um, you need to know that. And so back in the summer, uh, one of the largest churches in the U.S. did something that, that caught a lot of attention. I will not mention their name. I'm not going to speak ill of another church from the pulpit, but I'm not going to do that. I'll talk about them, but I'm not going to say their name. Um, they were pioneers of the seeker-sensitive movement. Years ago, they, they are still very seeker-sensitive. If you're unfamiliar with that term, that means we want to make church as relaxed and comfortable as possible for outsiders. And so, like a decade ago, when churches literally started putting Starbucks in the lobbies, that was the seeker-sensitive movement. Um, the songs that were hung, we, the church kind of deviated away from hymns and started singing a lot of this junk that's sung today that's just terrible. Um, and then sermons were turned into talks or messages because everything was geared around making those who visited feel welcome. From the parking lot to the closing song, glad you're here, smiley faces, butterflies and rainbows and sunsets, church and happy. Now let me say this before I go on. We hope, if you're visiting, that you feel welcome amongst us. But we don't do it like this. <laughs> you don't want what I'm about to tell you. In a sermon series that this church did over the summer that was called At the Movies, 
Everyone who entered the sanctuary was given a bag of popcorn and some snacks to make them get the feel of being at the movies. Because they say that at the movies is a message series where they will explore the biblical theme behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. Therefore, each week they will watch clips from a different movie and then hear a powerful teaching from one of their pastors. And the reason is because movies, they say, are a reflection of us, and each story shows us glimpses of our human experience. So they will be teaching about blockbuster movies and how we can apply their message to the teachings of Scripture. Seems a little backwards. On this particular week, they were going to watch a clip from Toy Story 4 in the service and then apply its teachings. So to introduce the morning, the head pastor... And his wife, who was also a pastor on staff, dress up and come out in the congregation, in the worship service, as Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story 4. And they are explaining all of this series to their people and the popcorn and in their best fake southern accents, which is horrible. And they tell visitors, hey, if you're new this morning and you scan the code, we're going to give you a free movie ticket. You get the point? Everything is geared at making those who are seeking something, church or community or God or just comfortable, entertaining, fun. So my wife shows this to me. On, it's on YouTube the week that I was studying for this sermon. And, and I couldn't help but tie that to this text. One commentary that I read, the author says, John the Baptist sermon wasn't very Seeker sensitive. Um, let me read you something by the great A.W. Tozier. If you don't know who that is, you're welcome. You're now a fan. The church that can't worship must be entertained. And leaders who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. As we're about to meet John the Baptist preaching down at the Jordan River Valley, beginning his sermon this morning, he comes out of the gate calling his audience a brood of vipers. Now, that's not offensive to you. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can bridge the barrier of 2,000 years and tell you how offensive it would be if he was preaching that sermon to you right now. Philip Ryken says this. It would be like him saying, you all are a room full of hypocrites. Every one of you. And you come to church every Sunday and you listen to the message and it makes no difference how you live your lives for the next six days until you come back again. And you live double lives. You claim to belong to Jesus and yet you live sinful, secret lives immersed in your own sinful pursuits and pleasures that nobody else knows about. Plus, you're a bunch of gluttons. I mean, look at all that you have. And, and look at the poor that are, are right down the street. For you. you don't care. And worse off... You're a bunch of snakes. Do you really think that God will save you 
because you were baptized after coming down the aisle and praying the sinner's prayer at a church youth camp 30 years ago, and it's made no difference in your life. If you don't mend your ways, you will die and go straight to hell. Now do you feel it? <laughs> One of the reasons why I love, love, love John the Baptist is because his goal isn't make, to make friends. And his goal isn't to grow a ministry. And his goal isn't to become popular. His goal is to call people to faith and repentance. Now, if you're already bummed that you're probably not getting a movie ticket this morning, let me tell you this, and we'll go to the text. <clears throat> At our church, we're going to offer you something far better. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And if it ever comes to a point where it's not being offered when I'm behind the pulpit, then you need to fire me. What we offer you that we think is far more compelling than gimmicks and movie tickets and popcorn is the truth of God's Word. Of, we think that Christ crucified for sinners whose blood covers their sin is far more than enough. And that a room full of wretches and rebels and train wrecks like us are getting into heaven because of what Jesus did and not because of what we did. We don't think we have anything better to offer you than that. You don't need movie tickets. Come on, man. All right, let me show you John the Baptist, not so seeker sensitive sermon. If you would take your Bibles. And stand together with me out of reverence for God in this portion of his word. We continue our study of the book of Luke. We're in chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. <clears throat> he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, would you meet us in the next couple of minutes before we 
we come to the table uh, and prepare our hearts with your word uh, to meet you there, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think there's two uh, pretty obvious divisions in the text. We've got the warning about repentance, and then we've got the fruits of repentance. So let's begin with the warning and repentance. Coming out of the gate in verse 7, not very seeker sensitive, he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you family of snakes. Now think with me. Think of how offensive this is. It's not seeker sensitive. Who else in the Bible is referred to as a snake? He's basically saying, you children of Satan. <laughs> Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? That's why you're here. <laughs> That's why you're down in the Jordan River Valley willing to get this baptism that symbolizes repentance. You've heard that God is coming in his wrath to judge sin. And so you're looking for a fireproof suit to get out of that. You've heard that it's coming, but you don't care anything about transformation. You don't care anything about sanctification. You don't care anything about holiness. You just want to escape the coming judgment. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. We'll go deeper on that in a second. <clears throat> As we said last week, re repentance means turning away from your sin. Sorry for your sin is confession. That's part of repentance. Repentance is actual change. I don't, I once did this, I now don't. I was this, I'm now not. It's a radical change that forsakes the things that are obstacles to our obedience. That's the best way I can tell you what repentance is. Forsaking things that are obstacles to your obedience. He calls them a brood of vipers because they don't care about that. They're basically like a group of snakes who's fleeing from a brush fire. They just want to get away from that. And he's calling them hypocrites basically because they come to be baptized to receive this external sign that's supposed to signify repentance and their repentance is a genuine. But they're hoping that if they get the sign, that'll count towards something when it comes to the fleeing wrath. And then he continues, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, this is very, very, very important because we all live in the South, right? What he's doing is, is exposing their false confidence of being in a right relationship with God because of Abraham and because they're Israelites. So they're probably thinking, why do we even need to bear fruits? Abraham bore the fruits and we're related to Abraham. We're getting in because of Abraham. We're Israel. We're among the covenant people of God. 
God would never unleash his judgment and wrath upon us. He's in covenant with us. He can't cut us off. He made promises to Abraham. We belong to Abraham. We're fine. And John the Baptist is saying, wrong. Nope. Let me tell you what he'll, he doesn't need you. He has the ability to raise from himself from stones children of Abraham to be in covenant with. He doesn't need you. He created Adam from the dust. He can create from stones worshipers to be in covenant with. Here's what he's doing and why I think it's so important, especially for those of us that live in the South. The warning in the text is false repentance. Formally saying what I'm supposed to say, receiving a baptism, trusting in this, trusting in that. And what John says is you might fool everybody else with your outward performance, but real repentance is a matter of the heart. And you can't fool the one who sees the heart. Therefore, in verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Anybody lost a tree in the last couple of weeks? Whatever's going on, the historic drought that we're in. Uh, I had to cut one down in the backyard last week. <clears throat> it's one of those, what was it called? Abervita, something, whatever. Looks like a cone. You know, we've been waiting for years for it to finally get big enough to provide privacy over the fence from our neighbors, and then one of them dies. So I get out there with the axe, and, and here's the image of the text. It's, it's not like it's not like the, whoever with the axe about to make the first cut. It's kind of like I've already hit it four or five times and there's one more whack with the axe and the tree's going to fall. That's the picture of the axe at the bottom. It's like this didn't put this off until after college or after you get married or blah, blah, blah. blah. Like there is an immediate danger. He has one more swing of the axe and the judgment will fall. And any tree that doesn't produce good fruit is thrown into the fire. When the Bible talks about fire, it's talking about hell. If someone told you that hell doesn't exist, they lied to you. It's plain as day in the scriptures. J.C. Ryle says a religion which, in which there is no mention of hell is not the religion of John the Baptist or Jesus Christ or his apostles. You see, what, what John the Baptist is, is telling this group down in the Jordan Valley is this. It doesn't matter if Abraham's blood runs through your veins, if Abraham's faith doesn't reside in your heart. And so you're visiting, probably because you've heard we're the Grace Church, and you're going, All right, this is weird. We got hell and we got fire. And where's the grace? I'll tell you where it is. Easy. If the wrath of God is a real thing, and it is. If the wrath of God is a real thing, would it not be cruel of me as a preacher not to tell you that it exists? That's where the grace is. Don't you want to know? We address 
um, this in the first two questions of the new members class that we do. We, we rewrite all the questions, especially for the communicants class, and then teach it to your kids. And we say it like this. And it's in the, it's in the um, new members class as well. When you look in the spiritual mirror, do you see your own wicked heart? And do you know that God sees it? And if God unleashed his wrath on you right now, you would say that you deserved it. And do you believe that you are hopeless unless he chooses to have mercy on you and for no other reason than he chooses to have mercy? And then, forget about your past commitments and previous professions of faith. Do you right here, right now believe that Jesus Christ took on human flesh to live the life that you couldn't live and die the death that you deserved? And do you believe that he did so in order to save you personally? And because you believe this, do you turn from your sins to him, embrace him, collapse wholly into his grace, and trust nothing else for salvation except for him, just like the Bible says that you can? That's all we need to know. Now, here's why it's important and why it can be so dangerous in the South. We're not talking about church camp 30 years ago. We're not talking about the mountaintop experience that you may have had. We're not talking about the baptisms. We're not talking about the rededications. If you came from a background like me, I cannot rededicate you any day of the week. You play the right music, set the mood, I'll rededicate. Got tons of them. Y'all, here's what we need to know. Right now. I don't care what happened at church camp 30 years ago, especially if it didn't bear any fruit. Right now, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone and making every effort to turn and flee from your sin? Let me, let me tell you what, what's dangerous, I think. <clears throat> the most offensive sin to God are religious sins, Right? Um, I love meeting with people that have, have blown their lives and they end up in my office by compulsion or fear or whatever. And I'll say, hey, I got great news for you. You need to read Luke 15. And you need to understand that the elder brother's sin, who's staying on the porch angry, about forgiveness and grace in the party, that religious sin is more offensive to him than whatever you just did in a foreign country. You want me to tell you why? Because religious sins are sins that turn our back on the sovereign grace of God and say, we don't need it. Watch this. Watch me perform. Watch me perform. Watch me do. It's trusting self rather than God. That's far more offensive. And that's where they are in the text. Who cares about your Judaism? <clears throat> Before we move on, let me say it one more time. We live in a day and an age where fear of God and a fear of his wrath hardly exist or are barely mentioned, but do not be mistaken. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. 
What we ought to be asking ourselves right now is, how do we know if we are living lives that are going to fall under that judgment if they're not corrected? The question is, do you have Abraham's faith? Not 30 years ago? This morning, are you, are you trusting by faith as Abraham was? Then do you see any of the fruits of repentance in your life? Because Abraham's faith produces fruits of repentance, which is the remainder of the text. And before we look at it, I would just tell you, if you have some conversion experience 20 or 30 years ago, and you look back at your life and nothing is different, we might want to revisit that. Like, you need to revisit that. Conversion produces fruits of repentance. There's a changed life because what has happened on the inside. And so we get three fruits of repentance, certainly isn't all of them, in the text because these are the people that were in the audience. Now, before we get to them briefly, this is what is staggering about this story to me. Being told they are a brood of vipers, there's a fire of hell waiting on them. You can't trust in Abraham. I mean, John the Baptist isn't down there leading a seeker-sensitive retreat. He's not dressed up as a Disney character. He's not giving away movie tickets and popcorn. He just calls them vipers, tells them the acts of the judgment is upon their lives. And what's crazy is that they didn't respond with the sads. They don't respond with, this is why we don't come to church. It's so mean. This is why we're not coming back. Y'all being told the truth of God, they are cut to the core. And say, what do we do? What then must we do? And then he tells them three fruits of repentance. Does any of this indicative of your life? Verse 11, the first one. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has one. And whoever has food is to do likewise. This is awesome. You don't have to go to seminary or know Greek or Hebrew to understand this. Everyone owned one tunic. You had an under like garment tunic and then an, and then an outer one. You wore it all the time. That's all you had. Unless you were like super well off and you had two tunics. So you're never going to believe this. Bearing fruits of the repentance would mean if you have two tunics, you can only wear one at a time. But if you have two and, and you know this person that doesn't have any tunic, what you probably ought to do is give him the one that you don't use. And do the same thing with your food. If you got a pantry full and your neighbor's starving, you probably ought to share with them. Y'all, the first practical fruit of repentance of a changed heart, of a changed life because of Jesus Christ's work within is a life of generosity, right? Like you can't be a stingy Christian. That's an oxymoron. Whether tunics or clothing or food, 
This is a universal application that applied to everybody in the crowd that morning. You didn't have to be wealthy. If you got more of something than somebody else does, share it. So that we will be saved? No, because you already are. It's an effect of what has happened on the inside. Y'all, around here we call it grace in, grace out, right? What we've experienced, we express. When we experience the generosity of God to unworthy sinners like us, what do we do with that? We become mobile refuges and express it to others. The next group is verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now you fly by that. You can't. What in the world are tax collectors doing here? I mean, they are the worst of the worst. To be a tax collector, you got to go negotiate with the Romans to get the job. And basically, you're a traitor. So the Romans will say, all right, you collect this much. Um, so you go back and tax your fellow Jews. Give it to the Romans. But here's the best part. There's not a limit on what you can tax. So you can extract whatever you want. Keep it as your salary. So therefore, they're insanely wealthy and traitors. So hated, you're not allowed in the synagogue or the temple. They're down here hearing John the Baptist. <laughs> what do we do? What about us? And he said to them in verse 13, collect no more than you are authorized to do before we move on. <clears throat> it, 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 it's so stunning to me that Jesus doesn't say, I have good news and bad news. The good news, the bad, it, there's hope for you, but here's the bad news. You're going to have to quit your job and go to seminary and go into the ministry and be a missionary or pastor. Thank God he doesn't tell them that. I think a lot of, a lot of you, you know, you have this thought in your mind about your work. Like it's just a job, it's just a this, it's just a that. No, it's not. Your job, your vocation is your primary mission field for the gospel. He doesn't tell them to change their careers. <laughs> you know where we need godliness most of all in this culture? In the tax collector's booth. <laughs> That's your mission field. Live a transformed life in your workplace that grants dignity and worth and honor, not only to your vocation, simply because you're there, it's an expansion of the kingdom no matter what field you're in. What do we do? Don't collect more than you're authorized to do. Deal fairly. Deal honestly with people. And then the last group, the soldiers. They asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. All right? So... Tax collectors are wealthy, soldiers are not. Soldiers were not well paid. But you got two big perks of being a soldier. Authority and a weapon. And so in order to compensate for having a low salary, soldiers were notorious for robbing people. That's what it means. What about us? Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. And be content with your wages. How about that for a little homework with Christmas coming up? 
Be happy, be satisfied, be settled with what you have. Because God is the one who has granted and portioned out your lot in this life. Be thankful and rejoice in what he has provided for you. Not envious and discontent over what you don't have. I want to think about that one. Now, here's all three points of the scenarios, and then we'll head to the table together. Again, if there's no change in your personal ethics, no elevation in your concern for others, there's a chance that you might be self-deceived regarding the truthfulness of your own repentance. You need to look at that. It's interesting, though, that All three examples involve money and possessions. Did you notice that? Kent Hughes goes on a tear here, and I'm just going to tell you what he said because it was so good. The way in which we hold on to our money and our material possessions in relation to others is a good indicator of the authenticity and the health of our spiritual lives. He continues, And highly among the fruits of repentance is a giving generous spirit. I don't know how we could say that we have been around Jesus and tasted of this lavish forgiveness of sin by his grace and not be generous. That's impossible. He continues. The best indicator is your checkbook or your online banking statement. Do we give faithfully and sacrificially to the Lord? And then here he concludes, because a faithful, cheerful giver as indicative of living a life, this is so good. A faithful, cheerful giver is indicative of living a life in the refreshing air of the forgiveness of sins and a guilt-free life and that our hearts and priorities have been changed by the transformational power of the gospel of grace. Why don't you think about that next time you stroke the church a check or make your online contribution? Isn't it, though? living in the refreshing air of the transformational, guilt-free power of the life of conversion that I don't have to hoard. I can give away. I can give away tunics. I can give away money. I can give away time. I can give away food. Because when I do so, I'm trusting that he's going to provide All right, before we head to the table, aside from the eternal security of our souls, which is the main thing, right? Y'all, the only way our church can continue to be a refuge to other broken people like us is by grace as we continue to live daily lives that bear the fruits of repentance. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that as we come to meet you,